Hey everyone, how are you? As you're taking a seat, tell someone who your favourite superhero is. Oh, who was that? Kendall, you know what? You never have to give me any pies ever again. Yep. Um, well, my name's Royce and it's a great privilege to preach and I don't normally do it, so if you're new here, just go with it, come again next week. It's not, uh, not always like this. But... Um, but it is great to preach, and thanks very much for the opportunity. And, um, and yeah, I'm feeling good. I, I love the rain, absolutely love the rain. The thunderstorms are cool. I spent six months in Darwin, and one of my favourite things about living up there was these enormous storms that would come along. It's nice to have a little taste of that last night. And we also celebrated Emerson's first birthday yesterday. So, <laughs> fist pump for keeping a child alive for a year. That's an accomplishment. Alive, yeah, the rest is to be debated, that's okay, but he's, he's here tonight. So, um, and, and shout out to Brooke, I think mums are incredible, she's, uh, she's done an incredible job this year. There's um, other things that I love, oh, I don't think I brought the clicker up, that's okay, I've only got a couple of slides, Did, have you got the slideshow there? I, I love the stars, like I love the universe, I love um, looking at like the Hubble um, telescope sort of pictures. Um, there's uh, like an incredible beauty to the, to the universe and there's a wonder which drives people like, um, like Elon Musk, you know, the crazy man who, who's on Twitter, to design starships um, like one like this, which he hopes will ultimately carry up to. This guy plans, he's building these things literally right now, he's doing like one stage at a time, they're doing tests, they're doing launches, all that sort of stuff. Carry up to 100 people at a time on interplanetary trips. Um, would anyone go on one of those starships? Tim would? No? All right, so that's about two, but three, okay. I would go. I definitely would go. I think that's so cool. And, um, and, and in me and many people, there's this longing to explore space and to colonise it um, and, and to build cities on, on the moon, Mars. I mean, this Earth is doomed, we all know that. Moon, Mars, beyond. Doesn't that excite you? It's, it's very cool. But what about this feeling that as you depart Earth and you're bound for Mars and you turn around and you see Earth, this massive globe, this thing that you've known all your life just gets smaller and smaller as you get further and further away. Can you, can you imagine that feeling of leaving everything that you know behind? There's a famous image which is also here. NASA's, <laughs> how are we going, um, Isaac? Is there any luck with that slideshow, mate? Oh, okay. A minute or two? Anyone know any jokes? No, not really. <laughs> no, it's okay, we can press on. There's a, imagine there's this moon, and it's grey, and um, behind it, in the distance, <laughs> I'm just trying to help you visualise it. Oh, yeah. So that's the first one, that's the starship. That's the starship. That's Elon Musk's little baby. That's not real life. It's just a picture. And then the next photo, <laughs> it's, it's um, prophetic. It's a, it's a glimpse into the future. Oh, not really. That's not authoritative. I just said that. And then there's the uh, moon or Mars or something with some cities on it and starships taking people around. And the next photo, oh, no, that, that's... That's, that, <laughs> that's, that's as you're leaving Earth, but I think that's wrong. What's the next one? Okay, there it is there. 
like I said, come back next week. It'll be... <laughs> NASA's, uh, NASA's famous Earthrise image was taken as Apollo 8 astronauts Frank, Jim, Lovell and, um, and William Anders swung around the moon. They were um, orbiting around the moon. And during a broadcast with Earth, this bloke Lovell said, the vast loneliness is awe-inspiring and it makes you realise just what you've got there back on Earth. And there's no doubt that certain perspectives make you feel a little bit lonely. A view of a disappearing Earth where everything that is comfortable and familiar and warm and lovely, is just becoming a fainter and fainter memory as the globe becomes smaller and smaller. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a lonely feeling. And this new world in which you are launched into is cold and hard and uncomfortable um, and potentially deadly. One mistake and, and, and you're kaput. I guess, um, I guess today I, I feel like that being a Christian can sometimes feel like you're in space, you're in, you're in a foreign environment. A world where you used to fit in and where you were accepted is becoming fainter and fainter and it's becoming further and further away. As we grow in our understanding of starships and science, our collective arrogance is also growing and our hearts are hardened to the one who created it all. Conversations around us are no longer built on uh, the values and wisdom that are found in the Bible, but instead are built on our own idea of what is right and wrong. Next picture, please. <clears throat> so, over the last four decades, census data from Australia indicates that people who identify as Christians, as a Christian, is down by 22%. The number of people who regularly attend church is down by 48%. And the number of people who indicate no religion is up by 269%. Less and less is it acceptable and popular to hold a Christian faith. And easier and easier it is to be ridiculed for the same thing. Um, over the last week or two, I'm not sure when exactly, but Kanye West brought out an album. Hey, uh, He brought out an album proclaiming his trust in Jesus, believe it or not, as king. It's called Jesus is King. And he's been met with some varied responses. Most are along the lines of either, I miss the old Kanye, or Kanye has found the good drugs. I heard on Triple J that, like, the presenters mentioned, um, you know, how much Kanye loves Connect Four. Don't give it all away. Yeah, there you go. Just good. Uh, how much he loves Connect Four, but now that he's a Christian, well, he doesn't play Connect Four anymore. He just reads the Bible, which is, of course, true, because we all know that Christians hate fun. We don't play games. <laughs> we, we face a society which it's increasingly lonely to be a Christian. All around us, God's message of hope, the good news of Jesus is being rejected and people are turning their back on him. All around us, God's message of hope and the good news of Jesus is being rejected as people turn their back on him. What we've been reading and studying Colossians over the last few weeks has been really cool. Colossians 1, um, you know, there's a passage, here's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. It goes on to create this beautiful picture of who Jesus is. He's one of... Um, I think one of Brad's all-time favourite passages, but it's, I, I love the passage. It's, it's a really um, great one for uh, gazing upon Jesus and just uh, enhancing your view of him and, and, and building your, your view of him. We've wrestled with the authors, um, who's, who's Paul? We've wrestled with Paul's pastoral concern to dissuade the Colossians from getting caught up in useless religious regulations and to awaken exaltation of Christ and exalting in him. And one of the themes that emerge is, is that behaviour and belief are married. 
ethics and doctrine are intertwined. Life that we live is a reflection of what's in our heart, inside, outside. Basically, the first half of the book is centred on theology, describing who Jesus is, what he's done, and the second half of the book is a description of how to live in light of this knowledge, how to live as those made alive in Christ. So, in our passage tonight, we find ourselves at the very end of this instructional section, the the last section of the book. Paul's already addressed um, various relationships, how to live with one another, um, as in in marriage, in families, how to live at work, if you're a slave or if you're a master. And so, here we are in verse 2, I'm just going to read a little bit. Uh, Verse 2 of chapter 4 commences Paul's instructions on on how to live with outsiders. So, if you do have your Bibles there, find Colossians 4 and we'll have a look at uh, verse 2. Um, Paul, Paul here, he doesn't just care about getting along with others. He cares deeply about others coming to know Jesus. He cares deeply about others coming to know Jesus. For Paul, evangelism, as in the sharing of good news, is ultra important. Earlier in Colossians 1, 28 and 29, he says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So verse 2 to 4, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account for which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Here's one way to picture what's going on here. So, Paul and Timothy and Aristarchus and Epaphras are a unique team of um, commandos and uh, they're in a spiritual battle to recapture the hearts of men and women for God. And they've made a strike at the enemy lines and and they've met tremendous resistance. Paul and Aristarchus are prisoners of war. They've been captured. And it looks as though the enemy has a tactical victory in his pocket. But Paul manages to smuggle a letter out of the prison camp to some fellow soldiers stationed to the rear. That's the Colossians. And in the letter, he asks them to get on their walkie-talkie, call command headquarters and ask headquarters to fire a missile that will blast open a door in the prison wall and in the enemy's front line so that Paul and his squad can get on with their mission to release people from the power of Satan and bring them to God. So the point that we're interested in here is this. The soldiers to the rear with the, walkie-talkie of the, uh, uh, with the walkie-talkie of prayer are very crucial in the frontline success of evangelism. If this wasn't true, this text would just be a sham. So just as Paul instructed the early church to pray, he calls us to as well. So if we just break down these couple of verses, he gives us some really clear practical instructions about how to pray. First thing is persistently. People treat prayer a little bit like a letter, at least I do sometimes. Very rarely do I write one, except when it's necessary. If grandma sends me a letter, I've got to write back or something like that. But in a war zone, writing letters just doesn't cut it. It doesn't get you very far. What you need is a walkie-talkie, uninterrupted communication, straight to headquarters, straight to the general, straight to the man with the power. Paul is urging us in the context of relationships not to write letters, not to pop around every now and then, but to be smashing the prayer walkie-talkie on, off, on, off all the time. But the difference between prayer and walkie-talkies, though, is that batteries wear out and equipment breaks the more and more it gets used. The opposite is true with prayer. With prayer, the more it's utilised, the stronger it gets, the more powerful it is. 
prayer batteries drain out when they're not in use. The second thing is watchfully. Watchfully uh, is a bit of a funny word here. I think it, I'm, not that I'm writing the book, but I think it's a little bit like consciously. Like, be conscious of what we're praying. I, I don't know if you've ever caught yourself praying and thought, I am just saying absolute gobbledygook. It doesn't make any sense, and it's just waffling around. Um, I guess watchfully is like consciously, it's deliberately. It's being aware of the non-essentials, this clutter that just crowds our prayer, that makes it useless, that, that, um, that uh, renders it pointless. The other thing about being conscious is that you're awake. And this is the other thing about prayer, is that sometimes it's easy to fall asleep. So literally, just be watchful, be conscious. If that means making your prayer 10% of what it used to be, and it's to the point and it's deliberate and it's concise and it's actually to God rather than to all the people around you, well, that's what being watchful is about your prayer. It's being aware of what you're praying. It's being deliberate about it. Satan hates prayer. He knows about how effective it is. He knows that it's this walkie-talkie straight to, straight to the, the, the man in power and uh, he will do whatever he can to distract you with fluff. He'll do whatever he can to throw in regulations, to throw in routine, to throw in things that, that actually clutter and make, um, make prayer less powerful than what it otherwise would be. But all of this war talk is, is um, a, well, it's, <clears throat> it puts you on edge. So Paul says in the, la- the last thing, continue steadfastly as in persistence, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So prayer ought not to be done on edge. When Paul says that our praying is to be done with thanksgiving, he means that we should keep our eyes on the victory of God. We do not fight as losers or even as those who are uncertain. We know that God will win. We know the end of the story. We know that God is at work and he's, he's got the victory and we can be confident, we can be thankful in that when we pray that this scenario, this situation, this is in God's hands. We can be thankful that um, that, that is true, that God will win. So that's how to pray, persistently, watchfully and thankfully. And then he tells us what to pray. Just quickly, it says, at the same time, pray also for us. Pray for us. So that's Paul, that's for the frontliners. If we've just got this commando sort of scenario going, the frontliners are the missionaries and the pastors who are, I suppose... Uh, devoting their entire lives, devoting every moment that they have, all their resource, all their time into, into this mission of, of um, seeing people saved um, in, in sort of a full-time sense. I, I guess it's really helpful to actually pray for missionaries and pastors specifically. And I think it's really great that tonight we've, we've highlighted Eliza and Adam. Uh, 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 what's, what's his name? I, I keep calling him Freck, but uh, David and Eliza, Adam's like... That is his nickname, isn't it? Yeah, cool. Um, the Adam Thwaites, like, they, they appreciate and they also need our support. That's, it's good to pray for them. It's good to pray for Pastor David, for Pastor Matt, for Kendall, for, for the team. Let's, um, let's continue to, to pray for these full-timers, these frontliners who are um, at the front line of the battleground. The second, uh, the second thing is that, that God may open to us a door for the Word. Well, that's gospel opportunities. Um, I guess in our society, they're getting less and less common, gospel opportunities. But, um, but uh, let's pray. Let's be praying that God would be opening doors, creating opportunities, and that we would be alert to them, we'd be seeking them out. Um, but ultimately, 
as we said just a second ago, that it is in God's hands and we can pray for him to be moving and opening up opportunities for the gospel to go forward. But the most important thing in, in this, in terms of what to pray, is that at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear. For the mystery of Christ to be made clear. Put together the two words, clear and mystery. The goal of mystery, or the goal of evangelism is to make a mystery clear. But the gospel is not a mystery because it's confusing or obscure like a tricky riddle. The mystery is, it's called a mystery because no one would have ever thought of it or known of it unless God had made it plain, unless God had revealed it. So that's what the mystery of Christ is. And I, I guess just examples of this mystery, just so you can get your head around it, are just things like that the Son of God would become a man. That's an unheard of thing, that until God made it plain, it, it would have been uh, um, unthought of. That he should live a life of poverty and love. That the Son of God, even though he was sinless, should die in the place of sinners and bear the curse of the law. That he should rise from the dead and reign in heaven today. These, these are things that God has to reveal because if it were left to us, my religion would be sit on the couch and eat chicken and watch the basketball. This is not something that has come from man. This is something that has come from God and he is revealing it now to us and, and throughout the world. These things are things that no one would have ever dreamed of, but it's the mystery of Christ that God saw fit and it's now to be revealed and made plain to the world. That's what evangelism is. And that is what we would be praying is happening all over the world, that the mystery of Christ would be made clear, that people would see, that their eyes would be open to who Christ is. And not just all over the world, but right here in Wodonga. So these are just the, the two basic steps, how to pray and what to pray. That's our indirect involvement with outsiders in sharing the gospel. But Paul, really quickly, he moves on to direct involvement which is verses 5 and 6. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So this, is, this is about speaking to Christians. So there's praying to Christians. I think I'm, I'm supposed to go through a couple of slides here, please, Isaac. Um, speaking to non-Christians and, and praying for the spread of the gospel. Um, so making the best use of your time is, is um, a phrase that Paul used here, which is about um, an attitude of, of buying opportunities, of seizing moments that come your way, that, that when there's a crack in the door, that you walk through it, and, um, and doing that for the kingdom of God. Seizing opportunities, opportunities pass me by all the time. And so Paul's urging us here to, to make the best use of our time, to make the best use of these opportunities. Well, how do we do that? We, we need wisdom. We need to walk in wisdom so that when these opportunities come, we, we make the most of them. Wisdom is knowing what to do when the rule book runs out. It's, it's knowing how to become something to someone and something to someone else uh, when, without, compromising your holi uh, without compromising holiness and truth. It's creativity, it's tact, it's thoughtfulness. This is the wisdom that we ought to be walking in. It's, it's having a feel for the moment and an eye for what people need and want in that particular moment. And in order to buy up opportunities for God, we, we have to be wise in our behaviour. There are four sources of this wisdom. Go to the Scripture. Uh, go to Scripture. Psalm 19, verse 7 says, The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Of course, we can pray. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. God, would you make us wise tonight? 
Sound counselors and good books are great places for you to find wisdom. And, and of course, real life experience, the best way for you to walk in wisdom, making the most of opportunities, is for you to start making the most of opportunities. And those experiences are going to teach you how to, um, how to, how to buy those opportunities up for the, for the kingdom of God. And the second part of, of, um, of uh, speaking to non-Christians, apart from walking in wisdom, is, is salty and gracious speech. So, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I, I think salty is a funny sort of a sense, and, uh, and gracious can just mean so much. Um, but, but just to narrow in, in terms of evangelism, what salty and gracious speech looks like, I guess there's a couple of things that I want to say. That the fir- One of the first things to do is, is, is to seek to understand the person that you're talking to. When you're sharing the gospel, the first thing you need to do is shut up and you need to ask some questions. What do you mean by that? T- tell, me, tell me why you feel that way. Repeat their answers back to them so that they know that you understand. Being understood is this, um, it's like breathing air. It's a, it's a basic human need. It's, it's, a, it's vital that you repeat back to them their position, their answers, their understanding so that they know that they're, they're being understood. And then from there, you can ex- actually explore their beliefs upstream. You can actually dig to the bottom of why someone feels a certain way about God or why someone feels a certain way about the Bible when you actually explore their beliefs upstream, um, you know, the things that are underlying their viewpoint. Of course, of course it, it takes um, the Spirit in us to be, to be gracious. Um, the fruit of the Spirit, we, we know the speech that comes from that is, is wholesome. It's fitting, it's kind, it's sensitive, it's gentle, it's truthful, it's loving, it's thoughtful. It's not argumentative and it's not um, loud. It's, uh, it's gracious, it's soft, it's tender, but it's also truthful and, um, and considered. The other thing about salty and gracious speech is that, that it has to come from the heart. I don't know if you've ever... Um, shared something about Jesus or shared something about the gospel and then thought, well, actually, the way that I just described it to him, I haven't felt in a while. Oh, yeah, you've got to... Knowing Jesus is just the most joyful thing and in your heart you're thinking, I don't know that joy at the moment. So, so the most, one of the most important things for you to do in your speech is to meditate on the reasons why Christ is beautiful to you. You can't advocate for, for Jesus unless... You yourself feel the way that you, or you want to describe him to someone else. So the best way to prepare yourself to, to do an advertisement for Jesus is, is for the satisfying joy of knowing Jesus to, to be in you. you. You ought to be enjoying him yourself in order for that to overflow and, and for, the, for that to be a genuine um, thing that you can, um, you can say. Of course, um, knowing how to answer each person means that there's individual attention required for each um, there's no formula for evangelism. There's no one-size-fits-all. It's, it's individual attention that each person requires. They require your presence, your patience to share the good news of Jesus. Paul totally changes tone from there, uh, going into verse 7, um, which we'll just really rip through. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. 
Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans that, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So we've got praying for the spread of the gospel, speaking to others in a way that commends the gospel, and of course, working together for the gospel. There's a bunch of people here. This seems like a, just a really innocuous sort of a passage, a bit of a dud, but it's not. Uh, this is a reminder that God will use all sorts of people. All these sorts of people are genuine people in history who we can know little bits and pieces about. Tychicus, he carried the letter. He carried the letter uh, to the Colossians as well as to Ephesians and a few other guys. He was very faithful, very hardworking. He was a loyal friend and a fellow worker and he was even by Paul's side when he was executed. Onesimus, he's a runaway slave. He, he, he came um, from Colossae and um, and ran away as a slave. He became uh, converted to Christianity. He became a brother of the, of the Christians there. And then he eventually became a, a church leader, a, a bishop. Um, this is just um, a beautiful story to remind you tonight that your context doesn't decide your contribution to the kingdom of God. Neither does your background dictate your, your value. Your background doesn't dictate um, your skills or abilities or your character. Um, and God, no matter what your background is, if, you're, if you come from a slave background or you come from a foreign background or whatever your background is, that you are infinitely valuable to God and, and he can and will use you for, for his glory and for the, for the gospel. Aristarchus was a companion to Paul. He's, like, he's, in, he's in prison with, um, with Paul and he's very courageous. He's faced many of the dangers and troubles that uh, Paul has faced, the shipwrecking and the, and the imprisonment and the... All, all different sorts of toils that they've faced on their, uh, on their journeys. Mark is the next guy that's mentioned. He's a, he's a changed and a reconciled person. So Mark was actually the first person to desert the team. So Paul, Paul had a team of people around him all the time and, and he wasn't a, a solo, as much as he was the centrepiece of this, um, the early church um, missionary team, he, he had people around him and Mark had been the first to desert the team. He had actually left. Back in the early days, during the first missionary trip with Paul and Barnabas, Mark took off from uh, Pamphylia and returned home to Jerusalem. And we don't know why, but Paul was filthy. He didn't approve. In fact, when Barnabas wanted to bring Mark back on the team after the Jerusalem council, Paul would have none of it. And that's found in Acts 15. But here is Mark, fully reconciled to and fully trusted by Paul and very useful in the gospel ministry. We believe that um, Paul's perspective on Mark changed significantly because of a significant change in Mark himself. So there was a change in Mark that was a result of the grace of Jesus. Uh, he can change and grow each one of us and his grace also enables us to be reconciled with one another. Youth leaders, if there's someone that you don't get along with, in the grace of Jesus, you can be reconciled. 
if there's someone in your ministry team or in your context or in your household who, who you're having a, a dispute with, there is a way forward. The grace of Jesus can enable us to actually sort those things out. We're unified in the family of God and forgiveness is available for us all, not just be, between us and God, but between each other. So there's Mark, changed and reconciled. Jesus, who's called Justice, so that's not Jesus, um, Jesus Christ, that's just another guy called Jesus. Um, and he was a Roman Jew, uh, and so here's another guy from a different context. Epaphras was this guy um, who was famous for his love and his prayer, and there's a whole, you know, two sentences in there about Epaphras, who was a giant in prayer. He knew how to lay everything before the Lord, and he laboured in secret in, in prayer. He wanted the saints to be made perfect, um, complete in their standing through, through his prayers. He strove earnestly in his prayers for the Colossians. He wrestled in prayer that they might be made perfect in the perfection of Christ and fully assured in the will of God. This is a guy who's deeply concerned about the spiritual welfare of others. And I guess I'm highlighting this because we've all got different gifts, different concerns, different abilities, and um, it's really important that we each play our part in, in, in the kingdom work that God's calling us to. Um, and there's a place for you if, you if you're concerned about the spiritual welfare of others. Paul also um, testified to the per- perseverance of Epaphras. He, um, uh, he worked very hard physically. He was a um, church planter, so he not only planted um, Colossae um, Church, but also Laodicea and Hierapolis. So he uh, toiled physically really hard. I just accidentally locked this. So there we go. Epaphras. Luke, the doctor, he's famous. He's, he's thoughtful and wise. He wrote uh, Acts. He wrote um, Luke. Um, a lot can be said about him because he's, he's reasonably well known but as a doctor he was very sympathetic he had, had a lot of um, empathy for people and he understood humanity's needs and, and, and weaknesses uh, and he used his resources to travel with Paul and help in the spread of the gospel Nympha, a woman who hosts a house church this is so cool that in this day and age that Paul would acknowledge a woman um, is, is groundbreaking and she was uh, well known to host a big house church she opened up her home she was generous and hospitable and um and in and in doing so became a church leader she cared for that church and she she led them well and then there was archippus who at the end there it says and say to archippus see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received from the lord he he needed spurring on paul exhorted him into into completing his ministry and we don't know if this was because he was waning in his zeal or, or if Paul was just saying, go, mate, you can do it, if he was just spurring him on. But this is a reminder that he's a human. These people are human. They're weak and they're tempted to give up on the calling that, that he received, just, just like us, just the way that we, we, uh, we fatigue in our calling. And, and um, to us, Paul says, see that you fulfill the ministry that you've received from the Lord. The last person that I want to mention is Demas. And it just says his name right there, but in 2 Timothy 4-10, to it says, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So Demas was this guy who was in the ministry team and, and he, laid up, he, he followed worldly pursuits. He deserted Paul, deserted the call, deserted the ministry because he loved this present world. As, um, maybe Demas feared being executed and he fled to safety. Or maybe he succumbed to immorality. Maybe he caved into the relentless temptation of a more comfortable, prosperous life 
in a city just like Melbourne, large, cosmopolitan, pluralistic, wealthy, culturally interesting um, Thessalonica. Whatever it was, Paul saw it as embracing the world. Having once fought alongside Paul in kingdom battles, he seems to have sided with the enemy. This is a warning to us. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. Our enemy is very real and very crafty. He threatens and seduces. Even those who start strong and are leaders, like Demas, are susceptible to his deception. It's just far too easy to love this world. It's far too easy to be like Demas and to abandon the calling because the world, the world is lovable. To love the world is to esteem it highly, it's to, to hold it into high account. It's when our thoughts are fixed on the world. It's when we desire the world. You swap, swap the world for Jesus and here you can see that this is an idolisation of, of, of the world rather than exalting Jesus it's exalting the world. To, to love the world is, is when we set our hearts on the things of this world. Just, just be thinking now, is this where I'm at? To love the world is when we employ most of our strength in and on and, and about the things of this world. It's when we're looking for opportunities and ways to get the things of this world, to buy cheap, sell high, get estate, houses, lands, things of that nature. We love the world when we endure great hardships for the things of the world. We love the world when we treasure the world the most, more than we treasure Jesus. And a man loves the world when he mourns and laments for the things of the world that are taken from him. Bang! I'm guilty of that. The things that I want, the things that I had and were taken from me. Love of the world happens when we're at the centre of our own heart. Love of the world happens when we're at the centre of our own heart, when the ultimate goal is our own benefit. So in the context of Demas... And when it comes to our evangelism and our ministry, our daily lives with outsiders, people outside the Christian faith, we lose our effectiveness, our saltiness, when Jesus is no longer at the centre of our hearts. Evangelism, it will not happen when we are no longer excited about Jesus. We won't share the good news of Jesus when we treasure ourselves over Him. Our hearts are totally inclined towards ourselves. We'll time after time revert to putting the crown on our own heads, rather than leaving it on the head of Jesus. We'll time after time stand up with our chest puffed out, saying, I'm the most important, rather than bowing in surrender and adoration at the feet of Jesus. In Matthew 19, Jesus says to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. With man, this is impossible. Without Jesus' life, death and resurrection, it would be impossible to take the crown off our own head and to take up the cross of Jesus. Our sinful nature makes our rebellion against him more attractive than anything else. But because of God's great love, he has made a way for our enslavement to ourselves and enslavement to ourselves to be ended, a way for us to be freed to live in the fullness of knowing Him. Only because of Jesus can we taste and see that He is good. I don't know what the most recent thing is that you've been really excited about. I don't know if you've got a new hobby, or a new partner maybe, or a new food, not quite the same thing. 
for me, it's been an album, a, a, a music album, which I, I've just, I fell in love with it when I listened to it for the first few times. As soon as I saw Brooke immediately after I, I discovered it, I told her about it, I forcibly placed some headphones on her, and I turned it up full, well, not full bull, but turned it up really loud. I couldn't wait to tell her about it, and for her to enjoy it the same way that, I, that I'd enjoyed it. And then in the days after that, I'd tell people about it, ranting and raving, saying it's the best thing since sliced bread. But from that point, I've never listened to it quite as loudly as I did the first time. And there's a relationship between how loudly I listen to that album, like as in how much I immerse myself into it, and how much I want to share my love for that album. Something similar happens with the Lord, I think. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. It doesn't say, snack or sneak a peek that the Lord is good. This is a full-blown eat, feast, see, gaze uh, um, that the Lord is good. God has made himself available to know in a deep, loud, immersive way by his Holy Spirit and his word. Paul gave us Colossians so that we would know just a fraction of the glory of God and the glory of the gospel. Colossians 1.27 says, God chose to make known the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. As we look upon God and as we continue to taste and see that He's good, we become transformed to be more and more Christ-like, full of His wisdom and His love. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The world's only hope of glory. The world's only hope of eternity, of redemption, of restoration is Christ. And God calls us to share this hope, this hope of glory with outsiders around us. Despite the fact that Christianity seems to be withdrawing from the public square and it seems as though that everywhere we look, Jesus is misrepresented, Christians are marginalised, we ought not to be retreating into our shells hiding at home. You, every single one of you, regardless of your skills, history, your gender, your character, your age, you've been called and equipped to share the news of Jesus, to participate in the kingdom work that God is doing. Because of the great mercy that God has shown us and whatever has happened in our past, let's resolve to pursue Jesus as our treasure and to seek to live lives of useful service for him from this day forth. God's in the business of forgiving sins, reconciling stumbling sinners to himself and restoring them to useful service. Paul knew this all too well. He writes in 1 Timothy 1, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. But... I received mercy. But I received mercy. We're going to pray if the band wants to come up. Lord God, I just thank you so much that you're a merciful, loving God and that uh, you've seen it fit to send your Son, the perfect Son of God, to live a life sinless, uh, blame-free, and yet to be executed on our behalf. I thank you, God, that because of this, you've been able to 
show us mercy and, and kindness and forgive us. We thank you so much for Jesus and for the good news that, um, that he has made a way for us to know you. Well, God, we just want to pray for the people um, who strive every day to share, your, uh, share the gospel. Uh, we pray for missionaries and pastors, especially for the Adam Thwaites, um, for our pastoral team here. We just, God, lift them up to you. We pray for gospel opportunities for all of us, that every day you would be opening a conversation or opening a, a little deed that might, um, like, might create gospel opportunities. We pray, God, that through these, that the mystery of Christ would be made clear, that you would be opening eyes. God, we just know that this is in your hand, that you are a strong God who has achieved the victory and that even now you're opening people's eyes and softening, softening people's hearts to you. And we pray, God, that you would continue to do that and that you would be, you'd be revealing yourself to people, calling them to yourself, making yourself known, that you would be glorified and that people would enjoy you and know you, that they would be able to share in the hope of glory for all eternity. We thank you for your word and we just pray that, God, you'd be doing a work in us uh, for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.